0: Let's pray before we, before we get started. Father, I thank you so much for your word and for the fact that you are in control and that you are sovereign and that you are totally wise in what is happening in the world right now. Um, Father, this morning I ask you to help me uh, through your spirit. Uh, help me not to preach in my own flesh because the spirit is what gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So this morning, Lord, I ask you to to let your spirit speak through your word, and let our spirits receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, ignore the title in your bulletin of what this morning's message is supposed to be. Uh, The title, I've changed the title, just the title. Everything else is the same, but the title now is, uh, Christ Could Come, So What? All right, Christ Could Come. So what? If I had to say to you the phrase, uh, subprime mortgages, what's the first thing that pops into your head? (laughs) What? All right, never mind. (laughs) Um, Based on what's happening in the US, subprime mortgages, what do you equate with this? Economic uh, meltdown. Economic meltdown economic crisis. The banks started lending money to people who were in the subprime category. They were not prime people who we should lend money to because they didn't have a job. Um, They were already in debt. They already couldn't pay other things. But we said, hey, let's give them a house. Um, And they couldn't pay it. And now it's all come to a head. Even the auto industry is begging the US government for money now all the banks are getting bailout money. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool because it's like a video game, you know? Like you lose all your money and you just hit reset. And, and every, everything's even again. Uh, you just go back to your last save point and, and you start over. And nobody gets hurt, right? Even entire cities like Philadelphia and Phoenix are saying that they are broke. The U.S. economy is, to put it mildly, uncertain right now. And about the only safe bet are oil companies who, who keep producing record profits but gas prices are still through the roof, right? I don't get that. But we also know that it's a global financial crisis. It's not just the US, it's everybody. India, uh, the top 40 richest people in India have lost 60% of their wealth. Now, instead of having $212 billion, they only have 139000000000 billion. Oh. Let's shed a tear for them, shall we? Um, London has proposed a financial bailout for its banks. Even Iceland, little Iceland, said they needed $6 billion of bailout money. And they had to borrow that from other European countries. And it's hitting us here now in the Bahamas, even just this week, Atlantis laid off 800 workers and unemployment is expected to go into double digits. So the question is, in these uncertain times when financial pain is inevitable because it's going to get worse before it gets better, what is God's encouragement to us, his people, and how does he want us to respond to the people who have caused the problem and to each other as we go through this time? We've been going through the book of James uh, with, the, with the students on Friday nights, and, and we just finished chapter four on Friday night, so we've come upon chapter five, and I think God has actually arranged this in his sovereignty and in his wisdom so that we, his people, we can have peace and also... Know the truth of exactly how we should be behaving during this season. So open with me to James chapter 5. And this morning we will look at the first 12 verses. First 12 verses. We'll start with verses 1 through 3. James chapter 5, 1 through 3. Come now, you rich weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire it is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure let's make some observations and some clarifications on this passage first observation is that we see from verse 1 is that being rich is not necessarily a sign of God's blessing. How do we know? Because James says, misery is about to come upon you. More money, more problems, right? Um, so rich, riches are not necessarily a sign of blessing from God. Because these people are about to receive misery for their riches. Not only that. They may have ignored God to get it. And I think these are the people who James is referring to when he says, come now, you rich. Uh, If we go back to chapter 4, verse 13, we see James using very similar language to rebuke those people who make plans in their life without God. This is what he says. He says, come now, you who say... Sounds very similar to come now, you rich. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So we see that these people had planned to get involved in some business somewhere and make a profit, make plenty money. And it seems like they succeeded in making their money, but it also appears that because they planned it without God, That their methods of obtaining this money also had no consideration of God and were evil. And what they did with the wealth that they obtained was also evil. So those are some observations and now we need a clarification. James is not condemning rich people in general. All right, I want to make that clear. Every rich person is not going to come under judgment just because they're rich. James is condemning rich people who meet certain negative qualities. Number one, they ignore God. They waste their wealth. And they are shady in their business practices. So if you don't fall into any of these categories, then you can listen with a clear conscience. And we see in verse 2, well, first of all, we understand that they ignored God's plans to get rich, we no, they, they didn't consider God in how they were going to make their money, they made all these plans without him, but, but how did they waste their wealth, why is wasting going to come under judgment, verse 2 tells us that they saved up their money and possessions so long without using them that they started to decay, all of their wealth had disappeared, does that sound like anything that's happening today? Their clothes had hung in their automatic, rotating, walk-in double closets for so long that the moths had eaten them. Do you know how long you have to leave clothes without wearing them for moths to eat them? I don't. Um. <laughs> their, their nine European sports cars started to rust out from just sitting in the garage. They held onto their money so long that it lost its value, and now they're going to experience some misery because of it. You know how much a dollar today was worth in 1960? $7.20. If we go back to 1950, one of our dollars today was worth $9. And if we go all the way back to 1930, we would need $12.34. To match $1 from 1930. So we see that money is going to lose value over time. But these rich people were just hoarding it or they were just spending it on, on things to make people look at them and go, ah, wow, look what they've got. But then they still didn't even use it. It's called conspicuous consumption. Buying all the clothes and the gold and the jewelry just so people can be amazed that they can actually afford it. Not because they really need it. And God says He's going to judge them for that because it was an inappropriate use of the money that He gave them. Verse 3 shows how foolish it is to just save and hoard and store up money and possessions. What's his reasoning? He says, it's the last days. What are the last days? The time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. We are in the last days. And the time for Christ's second coming is, nobody knows. Any moment. It is near. And we're gonna see James talk about that. The stuff that they've been working so hard for isn't going to last. So instead of storing up all these things, you could be using it to help others who are really suffering. And by using your temporary treasure, you would actually be storing up eternal treasure. Now that makes a lot more sense. Instead of working so hard to get all these things that are just going to be burned up. If you... (laughs) It only make, but it only makes sense if you really believe that Jesus is coming back and that he could come back at any moment. But so many times in our idolatry, in our search for a functional savior other than Jesus, we turn to things that we think will save us from what our idea of hell on earth would be. What is that thing that you think about most? What is that thing that you make every sacrifice for to obtain? People substitute all kinds of things as functional saviors. We substitute the opposite sex, a relationship, uh, good grades to impress our parents, or to get that job so that we can make a ton of money pleasing our friends. We need our friends to approve of us. Otherwise, we will be miserable. For some people, their children are their idols. Their children become what gives them satisfaction and not God. Not that we don't take care of children, of course, but we don't don't take a good thing and elevate it to a God thing And then we get in trouble. There's no reward in those things. For some people, it's their sports team, right? They praise their sports team. They make sacrifices for their sports team. They give honor to them, forgetting that all of these things are not going to last. And so now, moving on to verses 4 through 6, James is going to lay out the evidence for why these people are coming under judgment. He says, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, or Lord of Hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. James says, behold, take a look. I'm about to lay it all out for you. Verses 1 through 3 describe the judgment and now we get the evidence. The first is that they didn't pay their people. They didn't pay their workers. And the people cried out, and the Lord of hosts heard them. Who's the Lord of hosts? That's God. Who are the hosts? The angels. Now we know this wouldn't happen today, right? You you can't not pay people today because the union gets on you real quick. These people did weren't in a union. Alright? So, so they cry out to who? To God. God is more powerful than any union. If you think the teachers' union or the taxi union or the hotel workers' union uh, works hard at defending their people, imagine what happens when God takes up your case. Imagine when God takes up the case against you. He is the almighty judge coming with his angels. To deal out judgment to anyone who isn't treating his workers fairly just so he can make a bunch of money, get rich, and live like God doesn't exist. They don't pay their workers. Number two, not only have they not paid their workers, but they have used that stolen money to live in luxury all while ignoring real needs of real people. And James says that they're so ready for judgment that they're like a cow who's just so fat and so ready to eat that all we're missing is a grill, all right? He is so ready for slaughter. Just get the A1 now because you are about to get eaten by God. And finally, verse 6 tells us that that they have done whatever it took to make money, even to the point of causing others to die. They raised the rent so high that people couldn't live. They took them to court to make sure that the poor person was stripped of everything, even though they themselves weren't hurting for money. You owe me $50, I'm gonna get my 50 bucks. They raised gas prices, even though they were making billions in profits. God is using all of this as evidence and reason for judgment on the uncompassionate rich person. So could it be that the world had become so materialistic and idolatrous without concern for God or the poor that God is now bringing judgment? James gives the verdict on these people who have done whatever they could to make as much money as possible, as fast as possible. So in light of all this, what is God's instruction to us, to his people? Verses 7 and 8. Therefore, in light of everything I've just said, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. He tells them, therefore, be patient. Even though the, the rich person's attitude, the corrupt rich person's attitude, is that of instant gratification, James' basic instruction to us is to be patient, to wait. And the word patient here in the Greek actually means to practice restraint when people treat you poorly. So it's an interpersonal patience. It's not a patience uh, that is trying to withstand a trial. It's a patience dealing with people. And why are we to be patient? Because we, if we wait long enough, the rich people will give us all their money? No. James tells us that the coming of the Lord is near. Jesus could return at any second. And James, being the outdoorsman that he is, because all through this book, he's used nature to illustrate his points. Being the outdoorsman that he is, he uses this illustration of a farmer who goes through the entire reaping and sowing process. Waiting through the early rains, right after planting in October. In Israel, they plant in late October, early November, and that's when the rains come, the early rains. And they must wait for the latter rains that come around March, just before the harvest. And we don't see the work that is actually being done underground, but something is about to happen. And after, after this long process and after we have waited... We see the fruit that the Lord will bring. And so James is asking for us to be patient and wait for the Lord to reap justice. In verse 8, James says, this should strengthen your hearts. The second coming should encourage us to go on. It does not give us permission to give up. We think, okay, Jesus is coming back. So I can just stop doing everything because Jesus is going to take care of it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying strengthen your hearts because Jesus is coming back. And this knowledge that Jesus is coming back and could come back at any moment, any second, like right now, this knowledge should sober us and make us more alert and constantly give us encouragement to live righteously because when Jesus... Comes back, he is going to sort everything out, and we don't want to get caught in that sorting. Verse 9: Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So, how do we wait? How do we be patient? How do we live out this patience? What does this look like? Without complaining. It's so easy when the hard times come to to blame everyone else for what is happening to us. And eventually we turn on the people that we care about. But as Christians in this, in a country whose economy is in a state of flux, we have a choice in how we will respond. Will we be patient with each other and continue to live in light of the fact that Jesus could return at any moment? Or will we forget that and live like that is not true and turn inward on each other and rip each other to shreds and start to play some survival of the fittest game? Because that's what it could turn into. And it's already starting to turn into that. Uh, Employee theft in Abaco is up 100%. Uh, I heard a report on the radio last week that says employee theft robs employers of about hundred and thirty-five million dollars in our country. And what people think is, times are tough, they owe me, so I'm going to steal from them whether it's time, whether it's products, whether it's money. So we already see this turning inward on ourselves and not being patient and not being holy. Do I even need to mention the violent crime that plagues our country? And so James is warning us, don't do that. (laughs) Realize that you will be judged with them. Our response to the mistreatment by others has as much to do with our judgment as their sin does. We don't lose our salvation, but we can lose the rewards that could have been ours. And James gives a picture of a court that is about to come into session. And the judge is about to walk in. And just as he walks in, he sees all the members of the court fighting and arguing amongst themselves trying to settle the matters in their own power and in their own wisdom. And so he says, he walks in and he tells everybody to shut up, and he says, you're all guilty. And all of you get some measure of judgment. Is that what we want to be? I don't want to get caught in that. We don't want to be like a kid caught with his hand in a cookie jar. Because we know that Jesus will not accept an excuse of, Well, they did it to me first. Jesus is going to say, I know they did it to you first, but what was your response? And James goes on to give us examples of people who did respond in patience and trust in the Lord. Verses 10 and 11. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. James soberly reminds us that we are not the only ones to suffer who have ever suffered. Others have done it. it. They were not supermen. Uh, they, They were prophets, but they were still human. And they did it, so we don't get to run away from it. We don't get to make excuses. And we look at those people and we always think to ourselves, man, I would would love to be as faithful as those people in the Bible. But the only way that can happen is if we actually have those opportunities, those struggles, those times to learn to be faithful, to put our faith into action. But usually our first instinct is to try to run away, to try to escape. But God wants to use the trial to increase our maturity. And sticking with this theme from chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. As we go through the trial, we will see endurance and greater maturity in our own lives, We will also see the mercy and compassion of God and find even more reasons to praise Him, to see even more of His character manifested in our life. But the problem is that that we get desperate sometimes and we say and and do dumb things uh, in hopes of escaping the process. Let's look at verse twelve. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. When we get into these difficult situations, we are tempted to lie and exaggerate and say anything it takes to get out of the problem. God says, no, don't do that. We can't manipulate him with amazing promises of what we can do. And if we don't fulfill our oath, uh, if we don't follow through, then we become liars. And we rob God of what we had promised him. What does this look like? This comes out in things like, uh, God, if you get me out of this, I promise I will serve you for the rest of my life. How many of us have said that? God, I swear To stop drinking and gambling and fornicating and sinning. I'll stop sinning completely if you get this from me. And you can insert your own functional savior or idol. But James reminds us that, that God has called us to straightforward, honest and plain speech. Anything else is manipulative and false and does not line up with how we should be behaving in hard times when Jesus could come at any moment. And so here's the most important thing. Jesus is coming back, but he's only coming back for his people. And are you one of them? Have you stopped putting your trust in false functional saviors Things that make you feel good but do nothing to save your soul? Have you stopped putting your trust in things like money and friends and television and job? And have you in their place accepted the death sacrifice of Jesus made on your behalf? Do you believe that he has risen from death and is alive and is worthy to be served as your king. You can do that this morning. You can make sure that when Jesus comes back. You will be one of his people. Repent of those dead works. That you've been, that you've been doing. To try to save yourself. From your own personal hell. And trust Jesus to save you from the real hell. I pray that you will do that this morning. If you have already accepted Jesus, some questions of application for you to make sure that when Jesus comes back, you are not embarrassed. Number one, what is your perspective on money? Is money a tool to use for God's glory or for your glory, just to make yourself comfortable? James shows us what happens when money is our idol. Is there someone, is there a ministry or an individual that you can take some of that money that you've been storing up with no real direction for it? Is there someone that you can really help, that you can use in these tough times? Number two, how do you treat people around you when things are hard? Are you in a conflict right now? That you would be embarrassed about if Jesus came back right at this moment? Are you stealing from your employer? And last question Do you want to be mature? Are you willing to go through the trial that Jesus wants to use to make you more like him and receive the blessings of maturity and come to a greater understanding of God's compassion and God's mercy? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that your son has made the sacrifice for us. That we don't need to turn to false functional saviors. Things that will not save us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is coming back. That you are in control. That justice will come. Even as we go through this hard time, Father, help us as a body of believers in you to look on each other with compassion, to not grumble against one another, to seek to find unity in your spirit. Lord, help us to repent. Show us us where we need to repent, so that when you return, we will not be judged so that we will receive our full reward and that we will be able to honor you in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.